to a Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad that you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have another very interesting show. I have invited back one of my favorite all-time comics. He's not just an ordinary comic, folks. He's a venerable Jewish-born holy man from Brooklyn who did his pronoms and sadna on the borscht belt, Steve Behrman, known famously and worldwide as Swami Beyondananda. Steve, his alias, is the author of Swami for Precedence, a seven-step plan to heal the body politic and cure electile dysfunction. And today we'll be uh, speaking with Swami Beyondananda and no doubt also Steve Behrman about any number of things having to do with the body politic and what we can actually do with that body that's a little bit more innovative than has happened to date. Uh, also, just to let you know that uh, Swami Beyondananda really is a, a world-renowned uh, comic and humorist, writer, performer, and uncommentator. He's uh, been really in many, many different interesting circles. And he's also really quite a writer who, in fact, collaborated with cellular biologist uh, Bruce Lipton, who is a very good friend of mine and of A Better World, of course. Many of you know that. And uh, in a really wonderful work called Spontaneous Evolution. And we may touch upon that as well as uh, this show goes on. Steve says that he was pursuing a career as a teacher and a writer when a funny thing happened, as they say, on the way to the forum. The name Swami Beyondananda flew into his head and apparently never left. That was back in 1979. As Steve tells it, I got struck by enlightening during a brainstorm. So you could piece that together yourself. I would call that a uh, <laughs> uh, Jewish haiku, if you will. <laughs> and uh, we'll see where we go from there. Hello, Swami Biyadananda. Such a pleasure to have you on A Better World again. Oh, I'm glad that somebody has a better world out there. And uh, I wouldn't <laughs> say it's exactly haiku. I would say it's a little lower. It's loku. So you take the high school, I'll take the low crew, and I'll get it lightened for you. <laughs> I guess maybe I'll just take the middle crew. You know. Oh, okay. Well, that would be a crew of all kinds. Yes. That would be. That would yeah. be a crew, all right? And we see coups all over the place. We'll oh, be in good company with our politicians. <laughs> well, we could put the coup in Kundalini, that's for sure. Okay. <laughs> that's where it's probably best, wouldn't you say? Yes. Oh indeed. my that's, God. That's cool. Yes. Indeed, indeed. Where where have people been willing to giggle with you lately, Swami Biyadananda? Uh, well, you know, first of all, I am on the internet and on the outer net. Uh, I recently returned from a sh- from a tour of the Southwest, um, and I was in. Let's say we started in Santa Barbara, then we were in uh, Tucson. I'm sorry, we were in Scottsdale and Prescott, Arizona. Santa mm. Fe and Albuquerque, Boulder, Colorado. Yes, the Mile High State. Yeah, now a mile higher than it was last time I was there. Yes. And uh, and then we ended up at um, it um, in Austin and uh, Fort Worth, Texas, where I, I of course I you wow. know I was a sacred cow folk. I lived in Texas for a while. 
Yes. Yeah. No, I, I did not know. With a guru. No, I studied with a guru who actually advocated eating beef. And his name, of course, was Barbecue. <laughs> well, it was good that he was stationed in Texas because they're famous for Barbecue. Oh, so he oh, sort of had like one, you could say, one. Up. he had one leg up from the beginning with that crowd. Oh, that's right. Well, one, yeah, that's right. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's very interesting, but everywhere I went, people really, you know, there's two kinds of people in the world. Of course, there's the kind who divide people into two kinds, and the guy that don't, we know that. But then, yeah. among the people who divide people into two kinds, there are the people who love to laugh, and then there are the people who need to laugh. And so I found that uh, there was a great need for laughter, uh, given the serious condition that the world is in, which is in a way largely due to our conditioning to be serious. So we yes. created this evolutionary uprising to help people wake up and wise up, wake up laughing, wise up loving, and recognize that we are the leaders we have been waiting for. You know, I mean, yes, we've, yes, we've gotten strung out on hopium, like we did several years ago, but actually in, in the we are really the leaders that we've been waiting for. And when we laugh, it actually helps us see more clearly because laughter causes breathing. And as we know, breathing is the key to long life. And um, <laughs> as we breathe, what happens is oxygen goes to the brain, makes us more creative. We have more synapses synapping. And instead of being manipulated by fear, hmm, then we are, we are empowered by by the power of love. And, you know, that is the one great gift that has been given to the human heart is the power of love. And mm. it's time for us to activate that power if we want to uh, achieve critical mass before we hit critical massacre. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so let's go for me. the former instead of the latter. That's right. That's right. And, you know, this is, this is a universe of infinite possibilities, and so anything can happen. And I tend to imagine, um, from my experience, that we, um, we live in a make-believe world. We, be we make what we believe. So if we believe that the power of love does have that power, then we will, we will make a world and live into that universe where, where love is... Um, where love is the ruler, where, where the golden rule overrules the rule of gold. And right That's now right. we have had the, gold, the rule of gold overrule the golden rule. And the rule of gold, of course, is uh, do-do unto others before they can do-do unto you. And we have been living <laughs> yeah. by that rule of the lowest common dominator for 5,000 years, and now we are awakening to recognize, and this is something that Bruce Lipton will tell you, that we are all cells in the body of a large superorganism called humanity. Now, under our skins, we have a community of 50 trillion cells. They all get along. You, you know, uh, we have universal health care, full employment, and no cell left behind. And the <laughs> organs cooperate with each other. You know, we never hear about yeah. the liver invading the pancreas, demanding the islets of Langerhans. You never hear about that. Right. And so... So if we were as smart as ourselves, we would recognize that we are all cells in this larger body called humanity, 
And much of what we do on this planet, whether it's warfare or whether it's other toxic forms of exploitation and unfair competition, we are engaged in autoimmune dysfunction. We have one part of the body fighting against another part when if we were really working together in concert and dancing together in rhythm and flow, we could turn the funk into function and leave the junk at the junction. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. You, I think, have a uh, platform for a real political party. And God knows it's another party that we really need. But I don't mean a party like just a group of politicians hanging around. I mean a party. I agree with you. I think we should have one big party and invite everybody. Exactly. Everybody, step right up. You are you wait I think maybe we should say are you a member of humanity and if so come to the party and bring your gifts to the party because each of us has been given a special gift just for entering so my friends you are already a winner hmm? and yes, uh, this is exactly no this is true you know each of us is totally unique just like everybody else and yet we're all one with the same one that is the paradox. And seriously, if we allowed ourselves to be in full community, we would have more freedom than we have right now because we would be free of having to fight other healthy selves and recognize that, uh, I think Oscar Wilde said it, be yourself, everyone else is taken. <laughs> exactly. I love that line. Exactly. <laughs> Too funny, too funny, it's true. When you look around, Steve, at the world as you, uh, as it's being portrayed through our media, not with an exception of a better world and other sensible uh, alternative media, let's call them, <clears throat> what do you see? What do you, what do you see how humor could help to humorize this world out of the anger instead of what we know is way more fun and healthy for that 50 trillion um, cell community uh, called the human body? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I appreciate you asking that question because we have been, I think we have to acknowledge that we have been ruled by what the Swami would call the lowest common dominator for the past 5,000 years, and that's left yes. a lot of residue do. Um, yes. we, we as a species, have, we have to acknowledge that we've been suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's even worse for the psychics, but they have pre-traumatic stress disorder. But, but nonetheless, we, we've been suffering yeah. from this for a long time. And so many of our human endeavors, uh, with good intentions, of course, have been tainted by, by this shadow part. And what's very exciting, you know, people say, these are apocalyptic times. Well, you know, the original meaning of the word apocalypse, it meant the lifting of the veils. And so yes. simultaneously the veils are being lifted from both the awful truth and the awesome opportunity. And the awful truth, of course, we're seeing the revelations of uh, exploitation and inhumanity and, you know, dark shadows. Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't want to see our government naked, <clears throat> you know. Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> the emperor has no clothes. Well, then clothe oh. them, doggone it. Please, quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Take 
Take my yeah, look. I'm going to donate my loincloth. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it would be a learning experience then. Yeah. Well, live and loin, uh, as we say. But, 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 right, but anyway, uh, what, what, what we're seeing is that the, um, you know, the toxic secrets are being revealed and simultaneously in our lifetime and certainly in the last 25 years and certainly since you've been doing a better world radio that yes. a lot of these spiritual practices have been, that have been kept in um, protective custody uh, because yes. the human, human beings have not been mature enough to actually use them wisely. And we've seen uh, you know, Kabbalah and we've seen shamanic practices, Ayurvedic medicine, Qigong, Chinese medicine, shamanic yes. rituals. All of these things are now, you know, Hopi elders said, please take our stuff, you need it. You know, we've been yes, keeping really. it. Now is the time. Oi! You know, so That's so right. we have tremendous resources at our uh, at our fingertips. And to use another analogy that Bruce and I used in uh, spontaneous evolution, we are in this. Uh, we are in the the chrysalis right now, in between yes. the caterpillar and the butterfly, and we see uh, chunks of falling caterpillar everywhere we go. And look, we're beginning to notice the emerging butterfly in the form of imaginal self, uh, imaginal souls. The uh, the 35% of our adult population here that Paul Ray has uh, designated cultural creatives and people who are yes. waking up to this connection, our own connection to spirit, our connection with one another, our connection uh, to the web of life, uh, to our own creativity. And the power of laughter, there's something about laughter that stops the mind and it liberates us from this or that. It liberates us from the ordinary ways that we've been thinking. And uh, it's interesting that one of the only ways that political truths can be told these days is through humor. And we've had the great political educators of our time have been uh, John Stewart and Bill Maher and John Oliver and Colbert, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Very true. Who are basically looking at the naked emperors and essentially pointing out the contradictions and the uh, and the ironies. I call it pumping ironies. You know, they're pumping ironies. Yes, making pumping ironies, right. Yeah. And, and so that's, yeah. that's where I see the function of humor as a tool for awakening and to rehearten ourselves. I believe that. That's a beautiful way of putting it, Steve. I really appreciate it. Well, I, I you have a certain kind of uh, very kind of pleasant and um, endearing nature of being schizophrenic, both Swami Beyond Ananda and Steve Behrman in the same one and same body. Talk about efficient and eco-sensitive. That's brilliant. You know, I, I, I never thought about that. I thought that, the, that really, because there are so many of us, you know, the biggest problem we face on this planet extraterrestrials. We have way too many terrestrials. We don't need any extra. And, uh, <laughs> and so the solution, of course, is multiple personalities. I, exactly, I really right, exactly. And ten personalities. I think it's sort ten. of like, isn't it what we used to call a two-for a two for one? <laughs> a two-for ten for one. Ten personalities in one body, that's efficiency. If we exactly. had more people like that, we would need fewer people. That's what I said. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Fewer bodies, more people. <laughs> this is a, this, maybe we could call it the one. Maybe we could call it the schizophrenic party. <laughs> That's right. We have twice as many people. 
Uh, we have a green party, right? We have a green party. We don't need more green, you know. Well, we, you know, oh, we have green right. people. Those are the extras. Yeah, that's right. The little green folks. The little green folks. Exactly, exactly. We all know them. We all know them. No, your points are very well made, and I'd like to actually, in giving homage to a generation before the John Stewart, Steve Colbert uh, generation, is. Uh, another one that is more uh, our brethren from the Borscht Belt out here in New York, uh, such as Jackie Mason and Woody Allen and um, others of that ilk uh, who have been ridiculing um, the status quo with one foot in and one foot out of a system and able to poke so much fun at it and through the irony and the satire and sarcasm, uh, we they invite people to look at the situation from outside itself and see the nakedness, as we were talking about, and see the rawness and see the foolishness and uh, the other type of schizophrenia that's not so much fun, you know. Uh, and uh, I, I think that political humor has been one of the strongest keys in helping to wake people up for literally for generations. You know, Mel Brooks, think about Mel Brooks, Steve, in, um, you know, what was it, Springtime for Hitler in that the film? Producers, yeah, uh, the producers, yeah. The producers. I mean, can you imagine taking what was considered a, I don't want to call it a, a sacred cow, but rather a, a profane cow, if you will, and actually putting that <laughs> on stage on Broadway, a Jew, you know, I mean, the whole, it's hysterical, right? Well, or even know, before that, Charlie, Charlie Chaplin, who did the same thing with, about Nazi Germany. The Great Dictator. In The Great Dictator, yeah. right? Now, it took 20 years. Your thoughts? Took, uh, I was roughly 20 or 25 years after the end of World War II before Mel Brooks could create the producers, or on TV we could have Hogan's Heroes. It took a while for, for yeah. that. And yet, you know, there, there is a book uh, called Laughter in Hell, Humor and the Holocaust, and it really talks about, really? first of all, how Hitler, uh, one of the first things he did was get rid of the cabaret comedians because they had the power to break the trance. And yes. then the other thing uh, is that you probably know is that inside the, uh, the, the concentration camps, the Jewish people used humor yes. to give themselves some buffer between the horrific conditions they were experiencing and their true spirit. And to give you an idea, you may even know the story, one of the jokes that circulated in the camps involved these two Jewish guys who decide that they're going to assassinate Hitler. And they know that Hitler's motorcade is going to pass a certain intersection at 11 in the morning, and they're waiting for him. 11 mm -hmm. in the morning comes, but he's not there. 11.15, 11.30, when he's not there, by 11.45, one of the assassins turns to the other and says, gee, I hope nothing's happened to him. <laughs> so that is the leverage, or we call it leverage, that humor exactly. can provide. Yes. You know, so, yes. so here That's we are brilliant. in a similar condition now. Um, exactly. Where we exactly. It's very relevant that we're discussing this, in fact, uh, along with uh, humor uh, in the camps, there was also a good amount of Yiddish theater that also involved singing 
and music. Yeah. And uh, the point being that the ultimate bomb, the great healer, I say this all the time in my work as a therapist and stress management consultant is, you know, don't worry, be happy that there's nothing that's better for the immune system than a good yolk or even a joke. That's <laughs> well, what you know, that really, that's very true. Yeah. Right? It is. It, it really is. I may, uh, what's interesting about our lives today, Steve, is that we can actually measure the effect of a smile. We can measure the effect of a joke and a laugh inside our cellular activity. Uh, it's really rather awesome to, you know, you and I know, you know, instinctively and uh, gutturally and intuitively that that's the case. And I think, you know, humanity knows that. But when you can actually see it graphed out these days or the changes in heart coherence, something you and I are very fond of that and, sure. and brain coherence, you know, it's like, oh my God, you mean, maybe it sounds like God wanted us to be having a really good time to feel good and make each other laugh like a lot in order to stay healthy. Yeah, and, and you know, it's funny, uh, ever since Norman Cousins' book, uh, Anatomy, yeah, you know, Anatomy of an Illness, 1979, uh, mm-hmm. where he writes about curing himself of uh, a disease I can't even pronounce, that's how serious yeah, no one can. And uh, and of course, when he when he did that through uh, watching Marx Brothers movies and Chanda Chama reruns, that's right. The Chaplin. medical establishment yep. decided that they're going to start studying the healing power of laughter. And Swami right. says, "Well, you know, that's that's kind of like well, it works in practice, but does it work in theory?" So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so they did. They did. They, there are many studies that show that. Uh, Laughter changes our our physiology. Even smiling, even smiling. When we are, doesn't matter how we're feeling. If we simply turn the corners of our mouth upward in a smile, which the Swami calls the levitational pose, you know, pulling the yes, the, I love it. The mouth. What happens is it changes your physiology. Your body thinks you're happy, and you begin to produce different hormones. You begin to produce, you know, dopamine and serotonin, and not the uh, the stress hormone. So these things, uh, there's something about the connection between, um, natural connection between laughter and smiling and joy. And, you know, so many times we've, uh, all of us in school, I know I was, uh, you were probably the class comedian in your, in your school. Uh, we were told to get serious and, some of us took it way too seriously and got very serious, and uh, and we begin to imagine the the paradox of all of these people seriously so pursuing serious. happiness. That there's something outside of us <laughs> that's going to make us happy. And yeah. you look at people who pursued happiness, and it looks like they've actually outrun it. You know, I, oh, I that's right. That. That's right. You know. Steve Behrman, I invite you here today on A Better World Radio to take happiness seriously. Would you please discuss <laughs> the ins and outs, ups and downs of being happy, but seriously, please. <laughs> I insist. Well, <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's one of those, you know, uh, again, one of those amazing paradoxes. I, 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 I'm enjoying your wise words. You're always... Uh, 
a wiseacre and an upwising. I love it. <laughs> it's so beautiful. I, um, you know, I used to, when you were talking about being the class uh, comedian and all of that, in fact, uh, you were right. Go to the front of the class. It's true. I did one uh, most humorous, and I know you won many more awards than that. But I used to actually, because I think of probably tensions in my own family of origin. You know what it's like to be 14 years old and feel like you want to be out on the road and living your life, but you're you're in a box called school and you have to perform like a monkey. And uh, I used to amuse myself by telling, I'd imagine myself on stage, Steve, at night and when I was supposed to be going to sleep, telling joke after joke, just it was more like political and social satire, <clears throat> and I would be watching the audience laugh in my mind's eye, and I would be hysterical myself, and that's the way I used to fall asleep. Isn't that crazy? Well, you know, I think that... Well, uh, don't answer I, that, please. Many don't answer comedians, that. I've, had, I've talked to many comedians uh, who started out amusing themselves. Of course, my mother caught me amusing myself at a very early age. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> and and essentially <laughs> recognizing that, you know, what kind of crazy world is this? You know, you begin to look That's at, right. you know, I think the, I think part of the, um, uh, you know, the, when, you, when you begin to dissect humor, humor is really about relating things that don't seem to be related in a novel way. Right. There's a really interesting right. book uh, called Ha, uh, Why We Laugh and When, um, by a brain scientist named Scott Weems. And, and he talks yes. about um, what happens when we laugh. And it's kind of like solving a, a puzzle. When, That's when right. Mind, it's a resolution uh, of a tension or a contradiction. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And we are very pleased. It's kind of like solving a puzzle, solving a mystery. And so exactly. when, when the words of a joke fall into place, when, there's, when there is a Ah, I never thought of it that way. So a lot of what comedians do, uh, you know, whether it's Seinfeld or, or whether it's uh, Stephen Wright or any of the comedians we have today, um, I like Dimitri Martin, uh, one of our contemporary comedians. When they start putting something together, you go, wow, I never thought of that. And yet that's a wild and crazy connection between these two things. And, we smile or we laugh because we're delighted having the mind being tricked. You know, a joke is a trick of the mind, you know, and, and yes, uh, you, know, you know that there's going to be a punchline at the end. You know it's going to be a surprise. We laugh at the surprise. You ever wonder why jokes are one, two, three, a minister, a priest, and a rabbi? You know, a minister, a priest, and a rabbi are discussing their legacy. How do they want to be remembered? What do they want? the eulogist to be saying as they're laying in their casket and the minister sings, he says, well, I want, him to, I want them to say he was a family man and a pillar of the community. And the priest said, I want people to say he was a holy man and the leader of his flock. And the rabbi says, I want people to say, look, I think he's breathing. So... <laughs> In, in a world, exactly. In a world of dueling dualities, right. in a world of dueling right. dualities, 
It points out a third way that was unexpected, and we laughed because we've been ah, exactly. the mind is surprised exactly. and delighted. You know, you're hovering around another important point. It sounds like all of a sudden we're doing the anatomy of humor. I don't know where this came from, but probably <laughs> from, well, we'll discuss that another time. But, yeah. you know, you're, you're basically implying the importance of threes. So in a sense, you are invoking the power of sacred geometry. And we know, you know, there's the priest, the minister, uh, the minister, the priest, and the rabbi. So, you know, mm-hmm. what is it about threes and, you know, but um bump that is another biological function of the power of humor? You know, it takes us out of the dueling mind. You know, in, in our... That's correct. You know, we live in a world of duality. It's this or that. That's right. They're with us or against us. Democrat or Republican, black or white. And what That's humor right. does is give us a third way. Another minister, priest, and rabbi story. I was uh, doing my uh, my talk uh, at a at a conference, a health conference, about 15 years ago, um, and I was talking about um, I, irony deficiency. You know, seeing a doctor won't help, but seeing a paradox will. And um, I talked about the contradiction of people who called themselves pro-life but who were in favor of the death penalty. You know, I'm just saying. Well, afterwards, this woman came up to me and she was very angry. Because I, you know, she was an anti-abortionist, and she was very upset with me for criticizing that movement. And yeah. uh, I could see that. So I started telling her a story, and she doesn't realize I'm telling her a story. And I told her about the TV show where they had three religious leaders, a minister, a priest, and a rabbi, uh, mm-hmm. discussing when life begins. And the, men, the priest said, life begins at conception. The woman is shaking her head yes because she doesn't know I'm telling her a joke. And yes. uh, then they asked the minister. The minister says, life begins uh, when the baby takes the first breath. And she's shaking her head no. Then they said, Rabbi, when does life begin? Life begins when the children leave home and the dog dies. <laughs> <laughs> and this woman started laughing. She started laughing, and then she hugged me. Because oh, this girl was able to point out a, a different way of seeing than this or that. And that's, exactly. you know, this is where we get into spontaneous evolution. This is where we get into humor yep. as an evolutionary tool because in this emerging new paradigm consciousness that uh, you, we can feel it, we can see signs of the uprising, that it's on its way, it requires that we emerge from the dualities and find ways of integrating uh, you know, because every uh, evolutionary step, it includes and transcends. It includes and transcends. It includes and transcends. So you include the duality. You don't deny it. But then you transcend it, not through compromise, but through a breakthrough that is unpredicted by either of those other two, just like the human being, you know, you or me, couldn't be predicted by looking at a sperm or an egg. That doesn't look like you, and it doesn't look like me, and it doesn't look like anyone we're related to. And yet, I know a few people it looks like. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, true. Those eggheads? Anyway. No, your point is very well made. I just realized, um, now I can't call you schizophrenic anymore, Steve. I think I have to call you triplophrenic. Because now you're beginning to sound like Ken Wilbur. 
Oh yes, exactly. Uh, you know, and, and I, I think there's a lot to there's a lot to that integral view of yes of including things, not denying things, and I think that that's is that that's really where we're going in in our our political system. If we wanted to go just a little deeper, you know, yes, we could sure. look at the, the Democrats and Republicans as being Republican and Democrat being the uh, uh, one is way, way, way over-masculinized and the other is way, way, way over-feminized. And mm-hmm. in order for us to be wholehearted, whole-brained and integrated and actually act as a functional entity as a body politic, yeah. we need to integrate both of these um, and, uh, you know, I see how one or the other doesn't work and people are kind of thrown to this way or thrown to that way. And uh, in, in nature, we do have the tendencies toward growth and protection. So nature is progressive in terms of growth. It's conservative in terms of uh, protection. And what we've seen uh, since World War II has been uh, a military-industrial complex that's been focused, quite sadly, on protecting the predators and not the nurturers. And uh, meanwhile, uh, we have this this other side, um, which in extreme uh, political correctness and so on, ends up expressing idiot compassion and not really being able to set boundaries when boundaries need to be set. So we need to have growth in the right area, we need to have protection in the right area, and neither of the two political parties as they're constituted right now um, is capable of providing that. Absolutely. I'm going to frame this in a way that uh, I'm going to refer to uh, the favorite cuisine of our ancestors, and that's Chinese food. And the Chinese. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> because if anybody, if any of you listeners grew up in a Jewish neighborhood and you had to eat latkes all day long, you sure would like and love Chinese food a lot more than your culinary tastes of origin. <laughs> so, on you that call note, it a wonton, I call it a crepeluch. You know, what's the difference, really? <laughs> what's the difference? It's between friends, right? It's between mishpucha. So, yeah. Um, in fact, the Chinese would express what you're saying here, Steve, uh, regarding the two political parties as extreme yin and extreme yang. And whenever you have an extreme condition of any sort, it's a condition. It's, a, in a sense, an imbalance, clearly, and a pathology that needs to be corrected through integration and moderation and mediation between the opposites. And that's how you have a healthy life down the middle path, if you will. I want to let everybody know you are listening to A Better World with Mitchell J. Rabin. We are on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, although I would have to say there's nothing standard about this show. And uh, you can also listen to it at any time in archive at abetterworld.tv. If you do not yet receive our weekly free newsletter, please go to that same website, abetterworld.tv, and sign up. Join the crowd. Join the community. Love to have you. Every Monday at 7 p.m. in Manhattan, we also have A Better World TV 
and you can tune in there if you're in Manhattan, directly on television, or through that same website and watch it from everywhere. And we have some real great sung and unsung heroes of society. It's really something to tune into as well as the radio show. So today we are speaking with my favorite Swamiji, Swami Byandananda, also known as Steve Behrman, holy man from Brooklyn. And interestingly, uh, Steve, you originally studied political history. Is that correct? Before yeah, my background, humor? believe it or not, I majored. I majored at Brooklyn College. Yeah. Uh, I majored in political science. Now, I have to confess, I never got so deep and so far into it that I actually got to poli-sci lab to dissect a politician. I never <laughs> quite got that far. Um, well, the funny thing about background. political that's very good. The funny thing about political science is there's no science. There is no science. Uh, but there are principles, you know, and one of the principles that I think is an enduring principle is uh, Lord Acton said that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And yes. so when we look at our current uh, political situation, new word, we look at that uh, condition, <laughs> our situation is dire, um, we look at that, and we see that we have had uh, we ha- we have had uh, developed That's over. Really I would say certainly since the Reagan era, we've seen the unchecked, unbalanced, unmitigated power of money uh, to the point where it doesn't really matter what you or I or millions and millions and millions of other Americans think or believe or think should happen if it is not along the lines and plans of those who really do control. The, uh, the political system through their uh, contributions and leverage, then it doesn't happen. And I think that mm-hmm. that's really why so many young people, so many millennials have gotten so yes. turned off to the system that they don't vote because they don't want to compromise themselves for vo- in voting for a lesser evil. They're waiting yes. for the greater good to show up. That's and right. uh, I think you're right. Yeah. That, that's it's where a very we good are. point. And it it is a system that engages our compromise, as you said, which is really, you could say, uh, it's really against, it's contrary to our fundamental human dignity and integrity. So you have to already bend far in order just to be a citizen who votes. It's a very good point, and I really appreciate it. I, I'd like to I'd like to return to that as well in a moment, but I wanted to, well, you know what, since we're sort of in deep with the political (laughs) situation, very good, very good. You know, one of the funniest comedians I find out on the circuit, Steve, is named Donald Trump. It is hilarious. He's, you know, trumping himself all the time, and I think that he's going to be trumping himself out of the race rather soon. And his latest blunder, you know, comic blunder, is going to be what really sort of torpedoes him. That's my opinion. But is it, I mean, honestly, I mean, of course, he's a New Yorker, so I've got a, this a natural affinity for his type of New York humor. But, you know, I think that what attributes to his success is uh, to date, I should say, is that the American mainstream world doesn't really get enough humor, and 
his New York style peremptory, you know, black and white kind of humor, you know, is just very appealing to the the people. We never knew it. I I mean, honestly, I'm telling you the truth. That's how I, uh, what I ascribe his ratings to. It's they never heard humor like this before, and he's also, you know, supposed to be wealthy. That's a whole other kind of interesting conversation. But uh, they look at him like he's sort of like from another world, and he's from New York, and uh, they're very curious more than they actually uh, listen to the, the content of what he's saying. Your thoughts? You know, I, I have to offer uh, a caveat and a, and a slight disagreement about that. Um, Please. You know, they laughed at, they thought Hitler was a joke, too, um, because he was so uh, outrageous. I think what's been happening uh, over the past 20 years or so, or 25 years, is that there's been a relentless brainwashing, stupidization program going on, courtesy of Fox News. And you know, for you uh, evangelical Christians out there, if you uh, look at numer- the numerology of FOX is 666. So that should tell you oh. all you need to know. Yeah, yeah. 666, FOX. And, uh, and so what's happened is that um, the, uh, the Republican establishment created a monster that it, that it cannot control. Um, you know, it's funny, uh, in September there was all this stuff about the end times and the blood moons and all of that, the tetrad. Yes. So I went and I looked in the Bible and I found the most amazing passage. And I'm not making this up. It said that the, uh, that the end times, to know that the end times are near is when, the, when the, last, the last trump shall blow. It oh. even uses the word trump and not trumpet. Now, a lot of people are saying, well, we all know Trump blows, so what? And, he, you know, he's a blowhard who's blowing. Um, but I think that... Where did you of, find this? Uh, look Chapter at uh, there's, verse. Uh, there's a website called know? Rapture Ready. It's a book of revelations, and there's a whole bunch. Okay. Just, uh, just Google the last, the final Trump, and you'll see. And it talks about a trumpet and so on. And, and yes. you know, I, I think it could be either uh, caps for our experiment in self-governance, or it could be Reveille for an awakening body politic. Um, yes. But what, what the Republican establishment is discovering is that they have radicalized these people uh, to such an extent and, and had them, you know, I think, I think the defining for moment in the eyes yeah. of the Republican Party was the uh, concession speech that John McCain gave in 2008. And as you're watching, and you're watching two things. One, there's Sarah Palin waiting to jump in with her two cents that nobody wanted her to give. And you're watching McCain's very old, conservative, patrician cohorts looking, uh, looking at Sarah Palin you know, like she's the Tanya Harding of politics and saying this is the future of the Republican Party. So we have, uh, we have a bunch of people who are um, fact deniers. Uh, they've been brainwashed to the point where somehow I, I call it um, selfish righteousness, where you can simultaneously be a creationist 
and a social Darwinist. And so this, uh, this hardcore, highly brainwashed group of people who react to hearing facts by retrenching with their beliefs is who the Republicans are now. So what you're finding is that 55% of Republicans today, this day, 55% of those identifying as Republicans um, agree with Donald Trump about the Muslims, of what he said, his most harsh and absurd mm-hmm. statement, which is, uh, that's the bad news. The good news is that 55% of Republicans are approximately 25 to 35 percent of the entire electorate and the only yes. thing that's standing between uh, a tremendous defeat for Donald Trump and the Republicans, the only thing standing in, that, in the way of that happening are the Democrats you know, yes. somebody asked Swami uh, is there any difference between the two political parties, well, of course there is the Republicans, they will bend over backwards for the bankers and special interests Democrats are completely the opposite. They bend over forward. Forward. And there we have the condition. So we have exactly um, uh, Hillary, who is a Wolfowitz in Sheepowitz's clothing, a neocon, uh, um, yes, disguised indeed. as neolib. And right. there's something about her that is eminently dislikable and, and untrustworthy and mealy-mouthed. And yet... Yes. Uh, you know, unless unless Bernie really really brings this forward, will surge. Um, that's going to be who stands between. Uh, you know, the, the Trump who wins wing the nomination. They're going to win. Yeah. They're going to win. Yeah. And, and 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 you know, I I watched an interview with one of uh, Jeb Bush's. Um, um, you know, they put thirty Stop. million dollars into into his uh, into ads and campaigns. And they haven't moved the needle. They haven't moved the numbers because yeah. he is not who they're looking for. He is he is establishment. He's the reason right. why we were, you know, he represents the reason why we're in Iraq and created the mess in the first place. It was actually then, it's his brother. Yeah, yeah, but the, the same association. Uh, no, what I mean so, is, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. so he's so close to the establishment that it was his brother and uh, Cheney, of course, that got us into this more contemporary mess that we're in today. It's directly traceable. I mean, we could do a larger historical, um, you know, review of what brought us into that mess, but just to stay somewhat contemporary, we just have to go back to the theft of the 2000 uh, election. That's right. We don't have to go back any further. It started with the the theft. The stolen election. The the stolen election. Rolled over. They don't know how to handle bullies. Um, That's right. In in 2010, 2010, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who uh, was conservative, very, very active in the Republican Party, ran for Congress, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, he's had a, a number of epiphanies since then. And we were discussing mm-hmm. Obama. He's not a, he wasn't a big fan of Obama, but he said, Obama does not realize that these people are out to destroy him. He has no idea of what they're capable of. Mm-hmm. And 
the, the problem with the Democrats is that they really are afraid of their own shadow, and they're afraid of the shadow. They're afraid to face the shadow pieces in our history, like the Kennedy assassination, like uh, the untold story behind 9-11. Martin Luther King. Like all of these things. Martin RFK. On RFK. You know, it, I, I call these people coincidence theorists. You know, uh, the coincidence. All three of those guys. Isn't it a coincidence? Well, you know, and it's like WTFU, you know? Exactly. Uh, Coincidence is about, folks. Coincidence is about. It just happens to always fall on these sort of liberal progressive leaders, but you know, it's just a coincidence. So so because they can't face the shadow. They have proven themselves incapable of leadership. So I like to say, I don't really like to say it, but I end up saying it, that the, de- that the Republicans, they sold their souls to the devil. Whereas the Democrats, they just rented their soul to the devil. Not quite the same. You know, <laughs> yeah, they, right. They, equivoc- they yeah. equivocate. Yeah, they want to be on both they sides. They do. And they can't they be do. on no, both sides. No, it's a good point. In fact, that, that really brings up, uh, I think, an important point, and it's an analog is what we were talking about with humor of uh, dualities and the power of humor resides so much steve in the resolution of a tension or a conflict that the yin and the yang at extremes brings forward it begs and the the last words of a joke for instance um or a piece of humor resolves so similarly or i should say analogously uh, I have been for independent or third-party candidates for most of the entirety of my voting life, and that hasn't been one election. Uh, it's been a couple. And um, mm-hmm. I feel very strongly that we have to hop off out of this duopoly as John Hagelin, former presidential yeah. candidate of the Natural Law Party, former Harvard professor of physics and leader also in the transcendental meditation movement, talk about uh, include and transcend and transcend and include, Uh, he made it very clear that uh, Democrats and Republicans are never going to bring this country to its next, I'll put it this way, evolutionary step that it needs to take, we will be caught in the duopoly, we'll be caught in the duality. So uh, last round, I was four behind Rocky Anderson, who I had on these very airwaves many times. Uh, This year, I'm looking at Jill Stein of the Green Party, a wonderful woman who I also interviewed in 2012. And I've actually interviewed numerous third-party candidates that many people have never even heard of over the past, whatever, 15 plus years, because I feel that even though people say you're wasting your vote, the hell I'm wasting my vote. I'm making good use of it because a popular vote doesn't elect the president anyway, bub. That's another conversation. So I'm making my vote symbolic, saying that this system does not work it needs a third alternative. Your thoughts? Well, you know, that's, that's interesting because there is a movement. There is a transpartisan political movement that I've been a part of for about six or seven years 
that yes. is actually looking to create uh, a uh, – it may or may not happen in 2016. Uh, at first, it looked like there was going to be a independent convention in Kansas City. Now I'm not sure that that is going to happen. But something mm-hmm. that will happen is um, a way for citizens to gather um, in a virtual town square. Uh, this oh, is happening. And, and that's the way that we can overgrow the, the current system. Uh, I yes. really appreciate that Bernie Sanders, to make himself relevant, even though he would have, uh, he, he might have tried to run as an independent, um, he's doing it through the Democratic Party, because I do feel yes. we have two parties in this country, the Democratic Party and the Undemocratic Party. Um, <laughs> and, and because of how the, the, the system has been rigged to pay to play, the Democrats have had to be the also-rams for the corporate state, you know, and they, yes. their, their heart isn't in it, but they, have to, they, they feel obliged to play the same game. And Bernie opened up a new conversation, which, uh, which in a certain sense is, the, uh, is an even more visible and audible uh, iteration of the uh, Occupy movement. Mm-hmm. The transpartisan movement is really looking uh, for that integral. You know, it's not, uh, it's not a candidate who is um, either uh, identified left or identified right, but essentially Indeed. is identified as we're going we're gonna, to uh, take the wool over uh, from our eyes. We're going to look at the situation in a whole-brained, wholehearted way. We're not going to look to compromise away and slather over um, toxic perpetrations. Instead, we're going to look at this uh, from a spiritual standpoint, uh, meaning that there is something sacred at the center of, uh, of our lives that has been uh, ignored um, you know, it's 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 been uh, in our trampled. secular society. There's it's no there's no recognition. Yeah, and yeah. so in, before there is a third party candidate, there has to be an enduring movement, independent citizens movement. So, um, in in my very small way, one of the uh, domains that I've owned, I've been investing in unreal estate, you know, in virtual domains. One of the domains <laughs> that I purchased. Yes. Is Independent Citizens United or ICU. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the ICU yeah. idea yeah. has about three different. Uh, you know, one is internal, uh, oh my God, uh, intensive care. We intensively care about our country. Uh, ICU is a, I see what you did last summer. And ICU is I see you. I see you Brilliant. as a reflection of me. So, That's right. you know, this is, uh, you know, we haven't launched this, you know, <laughs> yeah, and we haven't launched this, and the thing is that that is sort of what's required, where there is a, uh, a center, a central sacred sense that transcends both religion and non-religion that gives oh, yes. us the opportunity to create a movement that a candidate can ride upon. Yes. Oh, beautiful. That's such a, I love the whole thing. I want to say something. I want to kind of question one piece of what you said that really was one word, which was your word enduring. I want to say this, that interestingly, in Spain and in Greece, 
in recent time, actually also in, in the UK, there has been an uprising of independent parties, well, in the UK, the Labour Party, but let's just say in Greece and Spain particularly. The independent parties arose almost, Steve, out of nowhere and actually took the presidency, if I'm not mistaken, in both cases because of the powerful illusion that was governing the countries, as they do in all countries, and the people became disillusioned, and as a result of that disillusionment, they were able to see clearly, as in your beautiful uh, acronym of ICU, and they elected, out of nowhere, seemingly, a third-party candidate. And so I want to really put this out into the airwaves, that it doesn't need to be enduring uh, up to date. We want it to be enduring over time, but it can spontaneously arise a movement so large that it will, um, that it will go beyond, transcend and include our two existing duopolistic parties and bring no more ideology. The time of ideology is gone. It is the time mm -hmm. of, interestingly, quoting Werner Erhardt of Est <laughs> and the Forum fame, who said, a world that works for everyone. Isn't that interesting? Yep. Not what do you think and what do you, what do you believe, yeah. but what mm -hmm. works for everyone. I'm sorry? That he got that from Bucky Fuller. He got that from Bucky Fuller's World Game. Uh, idea. Did he really? Oh, uh, thank you for that. Yeah. That's great. And yeah, Appreciate and, and that. I remember you know, the Hunger Project and all of those things having to do with a world that works for everyone. And you see, I think that, that many, 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 many people are reaching for that. And we have a mainstream corporate media that doesn't honor that. Uh, there, there are no forums and many against them. Um, they like That's to right. have the point and the counterpoint. They like to have these Rigidified they breed war. And, they breed war and conflict. That's yeah. how they sell their drugs. And and see, there are people who are waking up from that. We don't have our own media yet. Uh, and no. I think once the once we begin to um, gather outside of that um, of that sphere, you know, I think it's, it's happened. Um, you know, in the in the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, it happened, um, I'm trying to remember the organization, where they actually um, had a meeting of people and barred the press from being there. Oh, so, interesting. And knowing that, knowing that it was going to be distorted, they just said, no, we're not going to have you. I'm sorry. Well, you know what? Let's make there. a distinction, if you don't mind, with all due respect, yeah. and that is we do have a media. It just happens to be, relatively speaking, uh, more obscure, but that is a better world media. That is Democracy Now!, that is Progressive Radio Network, that is Salon.com, that is Truth Dig. There are, uh, you know, actually a rather prolific uh, group of what we call alternative media, but if anything, I would rather call it just thinking and progressive media without agendas, without a commercial agenda that is not corporately owned, that has its own mind. And you are on it right this very moment. 
and so is Swami Bhandananda. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's very so, true. So, let me give you. I'll yeah. give you an example. You know, when Bruce, uh, you know, Bruce has this best-selling book, Biology of Belief. It's been out ten years, just in a second. He was on again uh, just a few weeks ago, talking about yeah. the tenth anniversary. Yeah. Now, one thing that you will never see is Bruce Lipton on NPR. Mm-hmm. One thing you'll never see is Bruce Lipton on on Fresh Air NPR. They won't go near those ideas. They're stuck in the materialistic world. And it's not only because of the corporate influence, it's because of the limited um, belief of what uh, Paul Ray would call the modern. And so, so, you know, when we had our book published, Spontaneous Evolution with Hay House, the only... um, National media that we were we got was uh, George Nury's Coast to Coast. We uh-huh. are on Coast to Coast, wow. it, which is you know where all the woo woo stuff and weird shit gets sure relative exactly to, you know. But basically, exactly. Um, to actually that have is credit, wild. The New York Times is not going to review spontaneous evolution. The New York Times is not going to review biology of belief. It's not even on their radar. And so I hear you. Uh, and Wikipedia, there's another example. So what you have is a monopoly, um, some of it because of the corporatism, certainly reinforced mm-hmm. by that, but also reinforced by uh, a rigidified belief in the religion of science, not yes. the practice of science, not, the, um, not science as a method, but science as a belief system, where they actually use words like dogma, and heresy, which are words relegated to the religious, <laughs> religious domain. Of course. And so I think that's I know that. part of Bruce makes a wonderful point of these. Yeah. 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 No, I, I very much appreciate well, I feel that we are heading in a better direction, despite what it is going on with the uh the Trumps and the other, you know, powers of industry and captains of industry and government. I feel that there's a lot of good that is afoot, and um, I'm I'm glad for it. And I actually feel that conversations like this, Steve, uh, contribute to the overall morphogenetic field of thinking people in the domains of politics. And that needs to happen more and more, really enlivening, awakening conversations. That I can I leave you with a thought. I'd love to get your thought about this. I recently uh, I gave a talk a few months back uh, to a wonderful group in Westchester, uh, a group of us of the uh, FIONS group, actually. It was the mm-hmm. New York group of the Institute of Noetic Sciences um, on the board, and a number of my uh, dear friends and colleagues are. And uh, we were doing a presentation up at the Wainwright House. and uh, I, I know the Wainwright House. House very well. I'm glad it's still there. Yes, it is there in all yeah. of its majesty, yeah. all of its yeah. New York, Westchester majesty. And I don't know what got hold of me, but after I walked everyone through a Qigong exercise called the Marriage of Heaven and Earth, I then opened up just completely spontaneously, and I hope I was evolving, and I said, you know, if you really want to have peace in this world, i got to say, I don't think it's that hard. And you have to also remember that I'm a 
psychotherapist and hypnotherapist, so I was definitely seeking to entrance my audience with what was <laughs> otherwise considered very, very difficult, if not impossible, as something, ah, no big deal. And so, yes, I was working on that level as well. However, I wanted to come back to this. I said, you know, at that time, things were really heating up uh, around Ukraine and Crimea. What a crime, yeah, isn't it? Crimea River, Crimea River. I love that song. <laughs> I said, if we Ukraine could, your neck and uh, Crimea River. Yes. Yeah, right. I wanted to bring together Putin and Obama in Moscow or St. Petersburg, even better, and have a good Russian meal, and then followed by good Russian food folk songs, so the heart, at least Putin's, would start to melt. And mine too, I'm Ukrainian. And uh, the heart would open because of the music, the songs. You cannot control the opening of your heart when it comes to certain kinds of songs with which you were raised. That's number one. When the palate is full of your own delicious native Cuisine, ay ay ay, you're feeling soft and mushy. Then to finish it off, a little good humor, a little ethnic humor, um, a little political humor, and then after that, you get everybody slapping each other's backs and laughing and smiling. As we were talking about the physiology of laughter and smiling. By the way, I wrote a, a piece for the Huffington Post about that physiology. Uh, then they say, okay, now let's talk. We're jovial. We're happy. We're laughing together. We're looking. We're exchanging glances during the laughter and the humor and everything. How are we going to be enemies? How can we do it? How do we create a world, Vladimir, where we can sit down like Mention and really <laughs> do good things Honorable across mention. the planet? Honorable mention, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, that I, I I firmly believe that people like Steve Behrman and Mitchell Rabin can help to bring this about. Give us the chance to be with these captains of industry and leaders of government to sit down for a period of time and laugh and humor and enjoy each other and come around to brass tacks, which would be for the good of all. Your thoughts? I love that idea, and you may not know this, but Norman Cousins was involved in something very similar. There's a book, which maybe you've read, maybe you haven't. I recommend it mm -hmm. to everybody out there listening. It's by, yes. William, it's by James Douglas, with two S's. It's called JFK and the Unspeakable, Why He Died and Why It Matters. And... Uh, Really? The book begins with the Cuban Missile Crisis, which was essentially what you and I would call a near-death experience for both mm -hmm. Kennedy and They came so close to the brink, and it was only uh, Khrushchev um, instinctively yeah. bonding to Kennedy and backing the, um, the missiles out of Cuba, and then Kennedy quietly took missiles out of Turkey six months later. Um, the point is that they both had a near-death experience in 1962 um, oh. at the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis. And oh. um, 
for the uh, following year um, until Kennedy was assassinated, they were involved in conversations. And uh, part of the result of the conversation was the the, uh, nuclear test ban moratorium, uh, which Kennedy was able to um, convince many people in this country that that was wise, including conservatives. And uh, and so we had that that came out of a profound emotional experience, which in this case was a near-death experience. Um, So interesting. At this point, you know, I think it's interesting. Um, I know people who um, they they watch Russian TV, and they they say, "What do you want?" They say, "Well, we know they're telling the truth about everything but Russia." I've been on Russia Today. It's funny you say this, which I actually think is quite a good show. Yeah. Yeah, and and they have humor and and all sorts of stuff. So, uh, and I think that uh, from my reading recently, um, the forces that Putin has been working against in the Soviet Union have been sources, uh, have been the the, uh, oligarchs, which are basically the mafia. So he's working against his own mafia, which, interestingly, believe it or not, is tied to Israel. Now, you and I are two nice Jewish oh, boys, God. and we have to acknowledge <laughs> the, the, uh, the other, you know, just as, just as Islam has to deal with this most toxic form of uh, medieval um, religion that, that is never matured yes. and that thinks it wants to rule the world, just as Islam, in order to not become was one, has to deal with that, Israel, in order to not become was real, has to deal with its own <laughs> toxic beginnings. Israel yeah. began as a terrorist yeah. state. That the that Irgun, yeah. the first you know, the the uh those who who created this revolution that began the state of Israel, they were terrorists. Yeah. They uh they bombed hotels, they killed civilians, and um you know, in, Very true. again, if you if I were a uh, a young twenty something year old Jewish individual in nineteen forty five, forty six, forty seven, and having seen what had been done to my tribe, I would be with them. I would have been on the front yes. lines with them. But nonetheless, it has to be acknowledged. Just as yes, indeed, uh, America, yeah. uh, the, yep. the shadow pieces here have to do with the Native Americans and and the black slaves. Um, yeah. And then the workers that were ex- exploited throughout all of that. So That's um, right. That's right. it's really important that all of our tribes, maybe we need truth and reconciliation worldwide. Maybe we need this new pope to just hear confession from every country, you know. Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's what we need. But the ceremony that, that would essentially um, acknowledge uh, the perpetrations that have been done and allow it to heal through through forgiveness. That's true. You know, you but in order to just have like in South Africa, like just like the apartheid. Similar. No, yes, I, I exactly. think it's a very very good and very effective thing. I I was dancing a little bit more on the surface, but not completely. But you took it uh, a depth further, and I really do wholeheartedly agree that that the the atrocities that have been committed across the planet by every country uh really has to step up and take responsibility for its actions if we're really going to clear the slate 
for a brilliant, beautiful future. Uh, Steve Berman, I want to just thank you and Swami Biandananda so much for being on with me today. It's just truly a pleasure and deep honor. You're a, a wonderful thinker and a really good comedian. And when you put these two together, you get Swami Biandananda. And I'm really glad to have you on. Well, it was a wonderful conversation. I love conversations more than interviews because you never actually know where the conversation is going to go. It can end up in new territory. Uh, The people who are listening are not hearing just prepared little pieces. They are hearing uh, an evolved um, discourse. That's right. Or is it a dat course? Is it discourse or dat course? I can't figure it out. I don't know. Um, I don't know. But I do know it's a spontaneous evolution. That I this know. is very exciting. <laughs> we can probably do really something you. like this uh, in, uh, yeah. in the fall when I come to New York. So thank you for having Absolutely. me so much. I would love to. Absolutely, Steve. Okay. Such a pleasure. Thank you again. Give your website out so people can tune in. WakeUpLaughing.com. Send me an email at info at WakeUpLaughing.com. I'll send you a gift. I'll uh, put you on our mailing list. And uh, you can gift get Swami's daily laughs at it every day to restore regular hilarity. <laughs> I love it. Very good. Steve Berman, thank you so much. And a big warm hello to your wonderful wife, Trudy, as well, from A Better World. Thank you, Mitchell. Sure. Steve Berman, also known as Swami Biondananda, truly uh a real gentleman and a real thinker, uh, using humor just so wittily and uh, brilliantly to get his points across. And there's nothing like a touch of humor, nothing, in fact, that uh, lightens our lives up and brings us to a place of discourse and, oh, I wish you were still on intercourse, where we can have a lot of fun. So thank you all for joining us again today. It's always such a pleasure to uh, have you on with me and listening to my wonderful guests each and every week. Remember to visit us at www.abetterworld.tv. Remember, we are also a 501c3, a Better World Foundation, which sustains us. So any uh, contributions, investments in a better world, are always appreciated. You can reach me also directly for uh, consultations, or I love your feedback. So just write to me at mjr at abetterworld.net, mjr, my initials, at abetterworld.net, and uh, make sure to get on our mailing list and receive our weekly newsletters. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you all next time. Ha, 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 ha.